When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney, and I'm super passionate about moving and thinking. On this show, we are going to dive into all things health, fitness, personal development, lifestyle, and political sociocultural. I've always been fascinated by people, and I love learning from the experiences and stories of others. This has been a treat for me, and I hope this is enjoyable and useful for you. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or any way that I can make this a better experience for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I'm here today with Richard Grove. A huge honor to have him. I'm a huge fan of his work. He is an entrepreneur, a fellow podcaster, a a uh, forensic historian. I, I love that <laughs> title, <laughs> by the way. Um, and a filmmaker. And uh, yeah, and he has two new courses currently. So we're going to talk a little bit about autonomy. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully well, Courtney. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Likewise. Yeah, we were introduced uh, through, uh, we have several mutual friends, but Scott Armstrong. So shout out to him. Yeah, he's a business partner of mine on several projects currently. So yeah. Yeah, Scott is awesome, and uh, he helped to get us listed on Band.Video, which has been a huge distribution outlet over the past six months. So he's also an Autonomy Season 8 student. So Yeah. He, yeah, he's he's hitting it on lo- all levels. He's got his day job. He's got his side hustle. He's doing further education. He's got a really great uh, outreach program that he's working on with the Substack for T-Lab and everything. So I yeah, know. very he's- proud. He's crushing it totally, yeah. <laughs> and and that's what he would say too. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's start with talking about uh, autonomy. Let's talk about what what are you doing and what's coming up uh, next year. Um, the the gist is, I, I created this course because what we're taught in school and what we're taught in college isn't it's, it's not sufficient for us to survive and thrive in the world. And my story starts out like most people's stories. I went to public school and then I went to university and I got that piece of paper. And that was supposed to be my career. I got sidetracked during college. I was getting, uh, I had to switch majors. I switched into a business management degree. I realized that those courses weren't going to help me run a business. And then I ran into a franchise opportunity offer. So it's like 1994. It's almost mm-hmm. 30 years ago. And that franchise opportunity taught me how to run a business during the summers between college, right? Like, so I'm running a business while I'm going to school, how to hire, fire, sales, marketing, all the good stuff in between. And then instead of using my business degree to go get a job, I used my entrepreneur skill set to go into corporate world. So I found it was most useful and lucrative to help these companies do sales. There's no official university training on sales. Every company needs sales. I was really good at it because I was taught sales as a service. It's problem solving. So it's not Mm -hmm. pushing, persuading, convincing, and conniving like most other people do. And with that service skill set, I was able to, in the software world, um, my clients were Fortune 100 companies. So the biggest software and tech companies in the world were my clients for a while. And then I ended up becoming a whistleblower. And that's where the story gets really different because all the things I do today are not a function of college. Nobody told me to do them. Nobody gave me a license or permission to learn how to podcast, learn how to research, learn how to make films, learn how to teach and and, and have a university of courses that help people fill in those gaps left by schooling. So that's, yeah, it's been something I've been doing for the past four years. So it's um, a twice a year live course for 12 weeks mm-hmm. and students who get in, they have lifetime enrollment. So they can keep coming back. So I've got some students that have been through eight times now and they keep growing and learning and accelerating each time through. So for people who are looking to 
like step out of their day job or to pivot, or they haven't even found their calling. They haven't found what they're really good at. They haven't found what their offer is to the market and how to articulate that. Mm-hmm. We have that training program. And uh, aside from being a father and a husband, it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. Amazing. And so what do you have coming up? Uh, you're you're doing a new course in the new year, right? Yeah, we have a, a workshop coming up because I, I you know, I have this heavy duty 12 week training course, and then it goes on after that with you get access to the university and all the other courses. But what people really need to get into autonomy and be successful is mindset and goals. Cause if you can't show up for yourself on a consistent basis, you'll never get the value out of what we're, what we're providing. Right. So, um, a lot of times students are doing prerequisites after they get in cause they're waiting for the course to start. So they'll do time management and these sort of methodologies try to organize their environment before they get into the course and organize their mind. And then Mm -hmm. those two things work in in synergy. The thing we can do to help students accelerate up that ramp into autonomy is to help them identify when goals are needed. Goals aren't necessary for everything because if you attach a goal to everything, you'll be tempted to compromise your integrity. So I teach rather take steps with integrity and where necessary, make goals. And Mm -hmm. if the goal leads you away from your integrity, drop the goal. So knowing how to have the proper mindset to get rid of the negative self-talk, that's what holds a lot of people back, the I can't and the scarcity mentality and the learned helplessness. By helping people get around that sooner, they can have more success in their first season of autonomy instead of waiting till maybe their their potential ignites in the second time through, right? Right. So to give people those training wheels and to get those training wheels off even before they get into the course. Because I know you'll be successful when I know you won't quit on yourself when there's something you need to do for yourself. And that's the gist. And if we can do that for each other and support each other regularly and build those habits, the world's a better place. And it starts with us in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, being the agents of change in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. You talk about the learned helplessness because that's actually people think that that's a default of human nature and actually uh, learned the opposite, right? Hopefulness is a default of human nature because otherwise we wouldn't keep moving forward. Right. But the, the powers that be want to teach us to be helpless. I think that that's been a huge part of the programming rather than a default state. What are your thoughts on that? that a key way that they get us to be helpless is to assume not mm-hmm. to use our cognitive faculties between our ears to go from stimulus to reaction is what they teach in school. That's what indoctrination in the school. That's what schooling is. Yeah. Everybody reacts the same way to a stimulus totally. that's beneficial for the non-elected rulers, but it's tragic and disastrous for individuals. So if you go back to just like human beingness in general, we don't have fur and fangs and these other capabilities that other beings on this planet have. We have to, be able to control our eco-climate, right? Microclimate to keep ourselves uh, hydrated and protected from shelter, these sort of things. We have to have technology and tools in order to survive. That's Mm -hmm. a gist. And if you take my tools and I don't have right right to my tools, I can't survive. If you take my property, I don't have a right to survive. So the innate personal property rights that we enjoy in capitalism, not cartel capitalism, Mm -hmm. not the stuff that they had to corrupt in order to make it like this, but just the genuine free market. Meeting people's needs with exchange where I offer you something of value and what I'm charging is less, it's it's less than what the value is to you. And therefore you Mm -hmm. transact because it's a good deal. So if we don't know how to use the technology and we don't have the right to private property and free communication, we we don't have the ability to stay alive, let alone have entrepreneurism. So entrepreneurism and freedom are symbiotic. And as one goes, so goes the (laughs) other. And all this despotism and authoritarianism doesn't bring around a crime-free world where everyone knows how to survive and thrive without infringing on the rights of other people. Without plundering and and, and pillaging, how do you support yourself? This should be taught to all individuals and then would have a much more stable place in the world. So the the education between our ears for a lot of people has yet to take place because they don't have a method of critical thinking, creative problem solving, time management, uh, uh, dispute resolution, all these things we bump into on a daily basis, we should have tools for these that we pull out and use. And a tool right. is a method, a repeatable set of steps that you can use in these cases to diagnose, uh, to per, uh, hypothesize a solution, and then to try and trial and error until you remove all those contradictions to where it works. Mm-hmm. So 
instead of having to make up every time you're faced with the problem, oh, what do I do? Do I call someone? Do I do? No, you have a method and you go through your method and you're meeting and greeting life's challenges with a, with a smile, with an attitude of gratitude, with the optimism and with the resources and network to help get it done. And the resources and network to help get it done is what a lot of people are lacking. And it's something that's very hard to just go onto the internet and grasp. Same right. thing for business owners. If I'm a business owner and I'm an entrepreneur, I got 12 hats I'm wearing. Let's mm -hmm. say I want to scale my business and mm -hmm. delegate and systematize. I now have to go to the internet, find 12 random people, contract with them. They're not going to work and play together at all. They're probably not going to work with integrity with me. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to waste in these 12 areas I delegate. Nine of them aren't going to work out. Three of them will. Yeah. And that's that's why most people are struggling in business or as an employee because your business owner doesn't know how to keep the business in business. So by just seeing that most of what we're taught about individuality or running a business is counterintuitive and then mm -hmm. saying, well, what, what should it look like? What does right? What does done right look like? And then reverse engineering and kind of blazing your own trail because the trails they have given us lead to their pitfalls, lead to their plunder, their pillage and you know, of, of our, of our production is the gist. So yeah. to be wiser navigators in this world to get a compass and to get a map that reflects the terrain, I think is the, the foundation of building uh, freedom and liberty back up. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that that would be kind of like an antidote to uh, the tyrannical forces that are at work currently? Yeah, because basically in order to make the poison, they took out a lot of goodness. And if we put the goodness back in, it will no longer be poison. If schooling, if, if education used to be a group of children pursuing their interests, finding out what they needed to learn to survive and thrive in life, to monkey see, monkey do around the farm and learn how to do some of these self-reliance aspects, yep. uh, the world would be a different place. The older kids used to teach the younger children and there was a self-supporting network there. So even though it was one room and maybe one school, school marm in the house, the children were almost autonomous. They were almost self-reliant. They were on their way. They were surrounded by self-reliant, autonomous people. Right. And so they were on a good path to get there. The 20th century schooling said, what if we take children away from their parents for eight hours a day and we send their parents out, out of the house, yep. both separate, and then we only give them a couple hours to synchronize at night and two, two days in a weekend. Now, it sounds like that's an evil plan. They didn't maybe have evil in mind when they did it, but what they had was survival of the fittest and the preservation of their favorite races. Mm -hmm. And their institutionalized racism and their mentality that I think William James said it the best, the habit of the average people, right? Mm -hmm. The habit is the enormous flywheel of society. It's most precious conservative agent. It alone is what allows like the, the banker's kids to comfortably rise up in society without being risked from the shopkeeper's son learning some new type of innovative thing, right? Mm -hmm. So. The gist is the status quo wants to preserve itself and right. you can't blame it. They're the status quo. They're lazy. They're comfortable. It's multi-generational. They're not going to work hard or be self-reliant anytime soon. So they see slavery subjugation as the way that they can remain. And this has gone on for hundreds of years and there's more slavery now in the world than ever in history, which is a sad thing. But yeah. <clears throat> I think these are just signs of, oh, we have some learning to do. And this is how bad it got after generations of taking away these tools from people. People are a lot less self-reliant and autonomous today than they were 40 or 50 years ago. People are also filled up with things that are not true more so mm -hmm. today than they were right. 40 or 50 years ago. So I guess yes. I have to say 60 years because now JFK is that big milestone in history where the public started getting fed a big lie and everybody had to take it. So Unlearning I, I, these unuseful things is is the path forward. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you bring up JFK. Um, I, I'm I'd love to hear uh, more of your take on that. I think that is so interesting that of all things that that came you know to the mainstream news you know recently uh, because I do feel like there seems to be kind of an unveiling. I know people call it like the revelation method. There there's lots of theories behind you know pride goeth before the fall. Lots of theories on what's going on there, uh, but it does seem kind of irrefutable that we are, uh, they're being much more transparent. And, uh, you yes. know, that was one of those things that, of course, it, it you know, document 1030 1035 960, where they weaponized the term, you know, conspiracy theory. Yeah. 
which is what they're using today to silence everyone. Uh, so it's just interesting that that of all things came. The FBI uh, to used the yesterday. The FBI used conspiracy theory to deny the Twitter files yesterday. So it's like they're taking a, a page out of the book from the, the CIA in the 60s. Right. They've come so far. So the JFK assassinations are a really interesting piece of history mm -hmm. um, from a variety of angles. But if I were to zoom out and give you my meta view, yeah, uh, the, the Dulles brothers were Anglophiles who were loyal to the crown. Yeah. They ended up being in charge of our Department of State and our CIA. Mm -hmm. At some point, Kennedy, Irish bootlegger, doesn't get along with the, the British so well. And mm -hmm. his dad didn't get along with them so well either. Um, he comes into the crosshairs for a variety of reasons. He's just not the guy they want running their thing. They wanted Nixon in there. But Kennedy went out and bought the votes with the mafia. So yeah. now they got a predicament. And the people that Kennedy stole the presidency from, I'll say that, it's not a big deal because people were buying votes. They've been doing it the whole century. The three Felix, uh, Felix Max and the other Warburg brother each bought a candidate back in like 1908. So no matter who won, the Warburgs were in. And then they got the Federal Reserve, the next presidency after that. So so, so for me to say Joe Kennedy bought his kid in the election, I don't think it's a big deal. Joe Kennedy Jr. was slated to be president. Mm -hmm. And he died in Operation Aphrodite in 1943. He was in Britain. He gets on a plane that is laden with explosives. They were going to use planes as weapons. And more, uh, moreover, this is a remote control plane where Joe Kennedy Jr. is supposed to jump out. But it blew up before he jumped out. Tragically. So then the rickety, frail JFK ends up getting into the presidency. Now, who did Joe Kennedy Sr.? buy he, he he bought this presidency for his son who'd he take it away from see this is kind of like a a ross ulbricht uh, uh silk road uh he he goes into this market area but who'd he take it away from well they find out oh we just took it away from the people who funded the nazis and joe kennedy was in with those people at one point so the people who funded the nazis got away with it came back and Nixon, the reason he was going to be president is because he went to Alan Dulles and he's like, I got the paperwork here. He was a lawyer for the Navy. Uh, Nixon was, he went to Alan Dulles and said, I I've got this proof that you guys are uh, guilty of treason, that standard oil was funding Hitler and had, you know, so then the next thing, you know, Alan Dulles is like, let me fund your campaign and you're going to run for vice president. And maybe, maybe you'll be president in 1960. If you shut up, if you play ball, right. right. And then, then when it all comes around, how's what's Nixon's downfall, Watergate, that's also about the people who killed Kennedy. And it's also about the people who funded the Nazis. Cause that's the, that's the milieu behind who can take out a sitting president and cover it up for 60 years. They don't do it here in America on their own. CIA was created by MI6. So this is an Anglo American project because mm -hmm. JI, JFK <clears throat> wasn't who they wanted. He did, They wanted to go heavy into Vietnam. They mm -hmm. wanted to go heavy into Cuba. The Bay of Pigs embarrassed Alan Dulles. And then Alice, Alan Dulles is on the Warren Commission deciding you know, how he died and then says America doesn't read. And that's why you won't know the truth for a long time. So from the, the murder scene and the weapon found, which was not a man liquor carcano, which is not a real rifle, it's a it's a psychological warfare piece that they created during the trial, right? So there's all these interesting things yeah. that are outside the narrative. And people yeah. call that conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. But if if everything outside your narrative is conspiracy theory and those things exist in reality, you're living in the lie and you have yet to learn about these things which exist, which do connect, which gives you a much more detailed, meaningful, substantial picture with no contradictions which is the understanding that people are looking for. And you can't get there without leaving the comfort of the mainstream narrative. But yeah. the mainstream narrative is used to enslave people and it doesn't make any sense. So I suggest move on out. I couldn't agree more. That was so well said. I, I also do think that when you bring up the people who uh, funded the Nazis and that the, yeah. these are the same people behind it, I think these are also the same people who have funded a lot of the trauma-based mind control apparatus. And it, I think that, I and mean, personally, I think that because of the, uh, you know, the, I think the kind of fantasy that was built around Jeff, JFK, you know, the the yeah. country was very much enamored with him. And they they really, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think that, uh, you know, I think there are many reasons they took him out, but I think part of it was a mass scale trauma based mind control. 
What are well, your thoughts on that? They were developing the Manchurian Candidate. Mm-hmm. I mean, because uh, Richard Condon's book is behind me. It's I think it's 1961. And then they made mm-hmm. the movie. And then JFK got whacked. And then Frank Sinatra, who's in the movie, bought the movie so it wouldn't be on the market because it was a little too close to home for them. Right. Now, do I think that they can make MK Ultra assassins back then? Mm, not so much. But they can definitely make MK Ultra patsies. Mm-hmm. And so all the way up into the 80s, Mark Chapman, when he allegedly shoots John Lennon and sits down on the curb and waits, mm-hmm. <laughs> come on, man, like that doesn't make any sense. You know what right. makes a lot more sense? If you look at who else is at the scene and the doorman behind John mm-hmm. Lennon when he gets shot is a Operation 40 assassin named Jose Perdomo, mm-hmm. who worked with the people who killed Kennedy. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a more likely suspect, pardon me. The assassin mm-hmm. working at the hotel, then the kid from Hawaii who'd been on the bender with, uh, uh, what, what's the, the, the book, Catcher in a Rye, with yeah. Salinger's book, because right? that was yeah. supposedly used as the trigger. And then that's shown in Mel Gibson's 1996 movie, Conspiracy Theory, where they're showing you a bunch of MK Ultra history, like uh, the guy from Star Trek in there. <laughs> he, he's the CIA guy running MK Ultra. And uh, Julia Roberts is in. There's a whole bunch of uh, interesting things in that plot that they're telling you in a cinematic. So that's also a revelation of the method, as Jay Dyer would talk about uh, these sort of things. They want to tell you up front what they're doing, but not Mm -hmm. so clear that you can take direction or make choices on it. right? Right. So you might think these things are going on Twitter files or JFK got killed by CIA. But until people know, oh, now it's a now it's a confirmed thing. Now it's pretty, you know, all of a sudden one day, everybody was okay to say CIA CIA killed JFK. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. And then it's a so the the point of why they do it now is yeah. demoralization because what are you going to do about it? This right. is how they roll. They lie, they lie, they lie, they lie, and then when they get caught, they're like, oh, too too bad. You just lost sixty years of your country's history, or in the case of the election, you just lost two years getting mm-hmm. your country steered off a cliff because you know some people wanted to hide Hunter Biden's laptop. But those FBI people that hide that laptop and protect Epstein's client list and all these other things are just fronts for the elites that are on the client list in the first place. They're not representative of justice in this country. No. They've always been used as tools of the non-elected ruling class to suppress uh, dissent. Right. I, I think it's also... Uh, it, I- I do think it's a form of gaslighting where they're mm-hmm. they're showing you that they they are in control. So they they you know they they when they reveal it's well you can't as you said you can't do anything about it but it's also it's a power play. It's like yeah. we're letting you know we're boss and you can't do anything about it. But I it's also an act of desperation on their part to do these things and sure. to uh, to have to like uh, show us because before like there's a time when the non-elected rulers were pretty well hidden. Yeah, Bilderberg, Bilderberg was still a myth. CFR, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Nobody had connected right. it to Rhodes's legacy. There was no coherent, you know, from 1902 to 2022. Here's a plan ongoing. There were just little blips, right? And right. then when you find a narrative like Cecil Rhodes left his last will and testament to bring America back into the British Empire, and he created a secret society and a scholarship program to do that, and left unchecked over a hundred years. You got tons of Rhodes Scholars in American uh, media and foreign policy that are steering the ship, right? Yeah. You got, uh, who did FTX, uh, SBF just do the interview with? George Stephanopoulos, mm-hmm. Rhodes Scholar, along with uh, Strobe Talbot and Bill Clinton and uh, Robert Reich. There's all these Rhodes, Rachel Maddow, all these Rhodes Scholars. And they all seem to be saying this anti-American stuff. Nothing that they're saying really strengthens America. I think the only one that goes out of her way to strengthen America is Naomi Klein. Naomi Wolf. Naomi Wolf. I was Naomi Wolf. Naomi Wolf. She she went to Oxford. She's a Rhodes Scholar. But mm-hmm. everything she does looks like uh, something with an American agenda. She mm-hmm. didn't seem to be getting taken, and maybe they didn't. Uh, maybe there was no way to take a woman like her and convince her that the pederasts 
uh, plan, Cecil Rhodes, was a good idea, right? right? So maybe they bring people over and those people just get let let go and not part of the agenda. Other people wholeheartedly are only making their way forward through the agenda. Pete Buttigieg, another Rhodes Scholar. So you see the movers and shakers in society and these change agents. And then you can see there's a common lineage back to a thousand-year-old university who has made its bones on slavery and addicting people to drugs and narco-terrorism. And it still goes on today, only people see it as America and the CIA instead of the British Empire and MI6 and the East India Company and all the things that have continued to subjugate the planet under slavery. It still goes on, just in different forms with different names. Yeah, absolutely. Two things. You brought up Naomi Wolf. It does seem like there's been a shift with her. Because if you look at her work previously, you know, a few decades ago, she was very much advocating their narratives. Uh, so yes, I do when, think- uh, the, well, she was pointing out, like, here's the 10 things that would bring about the end of America, and we're on number seven, right? Right. Yeah. But as COVID happened, especially, yes, you know, uh, her and her partner, Brian O'Shea, I think that's yeah. his name. I follow him on Twitter. Um, really well-spoken calm, cool, collected perspectives on mm-hmm. what was going on. Sure. And they didn't come at it like that they had extra knowledge in the narrative. They were gen- genuinely quizzical and be like, what's going on here? Right. There's a lot of change awful fast. Is anyone asking any questions about what's going on? Is anyone pushed back yet? So, yeah. I mean, so you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because somebody's a Rhodes Scholar doesn't mean they're in on the agenda of Cecil of Rhodes. But the agenda of Cecil Rhodes did pay for their education. And they may or may not have some loyalty or allegiance to, and maybe they want to or play unconscious up in that programming. society. Right. Or maybe they want to play up in that society and get closer to the royalty sure. and the people behind the royalty, right? The royalty is just a front for a bunch of people so they can rule over a bunch of people. So mm-hmm. it's like uh, like an hourglass type shape, like mm-hmm. a black widow's belly. <laughs> so so we look up, we see like here in the, you know, it's President Biden. No, no, no. Like it's his cabinet and his cabinet represents all the people who gave him money. So there's a whole group of people up here that are directing their will down through that. And then it, it comes out to us through the other facet as uh, government. Right. But right. it's special interest. It's K Street. It's J Street. It's all these people that put money into our congressmen and, and, and senators pockets that are not us. They take mm-hmm. plenty of money for us from from us to run this place. They choose mm-hmm. not to do that. They choose to like, here's one point seven trillion dollar omnibus spending bill, forty five hundred pages. I know. I think all that that time of them spending our money that we don't even have yet is going to come to an end real soon. And it's not going to end with CDBCs. They have a plan, and yeah. I think it's imperative for us to learn what the plan is and be the shoe in the machine. Wow, that's a, that's optimistic. You think the CBDCs will be stopped? I don't think they uh, have calculated the resistance that comes with people being under that much scrutiny, and they would realize it readily. Like, wait a minute, I can't give my friend $5 at the, at the yard sale anymore. Mm-hmm. They're going to start to understand. So. They say they want to do it to you know, crack down on organized crime. They are the organized crime. They want to crack down on competition to their organized crime. Right. And that's always <laughs> the, the game they're playing. So And to enslave the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right now, I think they have to add too many, too many layers of the agenda too fast because they're under pressure. Mm-hmm. They know they're losing. They know mm-hmm. they're losing interest. And when people come over to our side, they don't go back to their side. It's no. a one-way thing. It's like a osmotic barrier. They right. noticed it with COVID and the vaccinations right before COVID broke out. They said we have mo- the anti-vax movements going like this and the, the vax supporting movements going like this. And they're gaining 200 times what we're gaining, you know, and, and it can never be replaced. So they see they have a problem. And the more people that discover, wait a minute, they're trying to push collectivism and take away our freedom forever. That's a big thing for human, human, human species, humanity and itself. And the end of the human species. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So it gives people a reason to, to stop and pause. They just put the whole EU on the social credit system. They're trying to do that. Yeah. That's coming. That came pretty quick. I mean, yeah. just a couple of years ago, people were laughing at me. I'm like, look what they're doing in China. And they're going to bring this here. No, they'll never bring it here. They can't do that. Like you <laughs> underestimate your opponent all the time. You're not going to win. You have to, you have to look at what they're doing. And not mm-hmm. hyperbolize their power, but you have to look at realistically what they do. Sure. You know, they can cover up a JFK type assassination for 60 years. They can make a Seth Rich just, you know, disappear and everyone believes he got mugged outside, but no one took anything. Right. So they have this ability to tear, to tell narratives, to get the public 
off the track, right? right? So that only happens when the audience is uneducated. They right. play their audiences like they're stupid. If we raise the level of education in those audiences, what did, what did W say? Fool can't be fooled again. That's my, mm -hmm. that's the, that's the plan right there. That's the official language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I want to clarify, you talked about mm -hmm. the uh, British American establishment. And I think a lot of people, uh, have a very reductionistic view of this. They think that, oh, we're a corporation and we're owned by the British and you know they've they really oversimplify this. Could you sure. help clarify that for? Yeah. Well, I mean, the the gist is that people created the state, the state created corporations, corporations ate the state and now control people via via fascism. Mm -hmm. There's for the past 60 years, there's not a lot of difference between Raytheon and Boeing and Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin and the Defense Department. Sure. It's it that's an osmotic barrier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a whole bunch of taxpayer money going out to those private companies. So oh, um there's the state part of it, which uh, up until America's creation was just royalty. Royalty and the Pope, a different he was a religious type of royalty. Mm -hmm. And then the idea of individual rights comes along. And people in America embraced that, and the British continued to try to subjugate America back into the empire with the War of 1812, and then uh, a couple financial coups. And there might be some British involvement in JFK's, or no, Lincoln's assassination back in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. They had a penchant for slavery and cotton from the South. The Russians, the Russian czar, sent his fleet off the coast of America on the east and the west coast. And said to the the British, if you guys get into the war on the side of the Confederacy, we're going to come in on the side of the North. So one of the reasons that the North was able to win over the South was because the Russians came to our aid. The British hate the Russians. Does that tell you what's going on today? Why we're in Ukraine? We have no right to be in Ukraine. We don't even have a right to be in NATO. The British and the the royalty and the the financial uh, oligarchy that's behind that. They mm -hmm. want these things to go on. And America has become the property managers for the British Empire in the 20th century, which is full circle from what happened in the revolution. In other words, they undid the revolution, but it took like 100 years. And they they did it without Americans knowing because we all speak the same language. Now we're in that special relationship. And all our intelligence is shared through the five eyes, right? There's America and then a bunch of British Empire countries. And then we're in the United Nations where we get one vote, but the Commonwealth countries get 52 votes. The queen's face is on all their money. Like who's in control of those places? They were never liberated, but they called it the Commonwealth. So America would America wouldn't have done business with the empire. So in the twenties, the British are like, we have to change our our, our branding. Mm -hmm. And Lionel Curtis does these speeches at Columbia University, and he goes through and says, uh, "We're a Commonwealth. We should uh, set our nations free and." You know, we should be like more American. We should be more like America, right? So they had a whole psychological strategy to get us, you know, back in, but they used World War One and World War Two to solidify that. By the end of World War Two, we had America had gotten into and done some things that maybe it wasn't proud of. That, mm -hmm. you know, once you get someone to 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 commit to a lie. So let's say LBJ knows the crown's in on JFK's assassination. And maybe there's another group. Maybe there's a couple of nation states that were working together against America for the past 100 years. Right. Maybe they get LBJ in a compromising position where he now rose to power because of the thing that he helped to cover up. Well, then when the USS Liberty comes around in 1967, LBJ can't say anything. He has to take it because otherwise the people that he would be pushing back against would drop that. Oh, you helped to kill JFK, right? So by people subjugating themselves under those lies for decades and decades, it gives the people who were holding the the blackmail on those things. Mm -hmm. You know, if you uh, checked out Whitney Webb's two volume series, there's a whole. It's not just one nation; it's one world under blackmail, and yep. th this has had a long history. And that's how they that's how they get people like that. LBJ, I don't like I don't like him. I don't think he was a great guy, but I don't think he was the mastermind, and I don't think he had the authority to kill Kennedy. He was a a, a pawn in the game being played as most not a good guy are. but wasn't the guy who called the hit right yeah. i i think that's true for most of them right they yeah yeah okay that's true for most of them you mentioned the 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 five eyes and the 
the intelligence apparatus. Can you talk a little bit about, I know this is a very long rabbit hole. We don't have that much time, but talk a little bit about the the origins, because I think people often, well, the, the lie that we've been sold is that, you know, it's all about defense. And I think this is, you know, particularly the neocons have really bought into this. And so they think that they're all very separate and, uh, you know, we're, we're fighting against each other and we're in competition. It's a race against the, uh, the other uh, war machines, but really they're kind of working together behind the scenes. So. Yeah. Will your audience be able to see this full screen or am I going to be side by side? Because if I'm side by side, it's kind of tiny. But if it's uh, full screen, it could be fascinating for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think people can zoom in. Yeah. All right. So there's this quote that comes from Edith Kermit Roosevelt about America's Eastern establishment power structure. So there's Eastern establishment families that are loyal to the crown, British crown, because they were making opium money before the Revolutionary War. They right. wanted to keep continue making that opium money after the Revolutionary War. So the the history of American intelligence takes root in the 20th century, in the late 30s, because up until then you had Secret Service because uh, Lincoln got killed, so they created Secret Service. But going into the 30s, that's when they create FBI and then uh, OSS because of World War II coming up. So British security, British intelligence had already existed long before American, before we created ours. So the British came over and they created a headquarters in Rockefeller Center with Nelson Rockefeller's approval, and it was called British Security Coordination. And from here, uh, you have people like William Stevenson, who was a MI6 uh, trainer who came over and trained our wild Bill Donovan, who they'd been grooming since World War I. So a lot of this Anglophile intelligence network that they were growing and codifying the 30s and 40s, they had been grooming for a couple decades. So these mm -hmm. people weren't surprised people out of nowhere. So they start doing, uh, showing us how to do assassin training. So there's a camp X assassin training camp up right on the other side of Canada. But we also had one here in the States, you know, it today as camp David, David. camp David was an assassination training camp. So the British come into the country, they start teaching us how to set up an intelligence agency. Uh, Ian Fleming had drawn up blueprints uh, for both uh, OSS and into CIA that these guys were using. So it's like, we're just going to copy their intelligence structure. And you've got British spies in America, like David Ogilvy and Ian Fleming and Roald Dahl. A lot of these guys write children's books for some mm -hmm. reason, right? Uh, the Rudyard biggest Kipling. disappointment to me was Rudyard Kipling. Yeah, he, Kipling. He's wrote It's like my, my favorite poem is this. So. Yeah, and, and Kipling wrote "White Man's Burden" and all these sort of yeah. So there's a whole there's a whole lot to that. So David Ogilvy, he's the father of advertising here in America, but he's one of these British spies that that comes over to make sure we don't get into uh, the the war on the side of the Germans. Right. So the British had created this special operations executive of which Ian Fleming and a whole bunch of other famous people through the 20th century uh, CIA history, because we're overthrowing all these countries with with Britain. So if you look into the origins and nature of their intelligence structure and how they got us into it, well, all of a sudden we're conducting coups. Well, what happens with that? Sometimes if you teach these guys how to go overthrow countries all over the world, what might they do with it? Might they, they might bring it back. They might bring it back here at some point when they feel that they've gotten good enough at that. Right. right. So they're out there. So it, it starts like in World War II. The British get us to do firebombing of cities, civilian targets. America never would have done that, but the British are like, this is how we have to roll. We got to do this. The Germans are awful. Right. And then they work us up to dropping atomic bombs on Japan. Again, the direct, the direct research to br bring about those weapons started before Hitler took power. And it started with the same Eastern establishment families who were like, hey, let's make a super bomb. And then let's let's drum up a case to use it on some people. Mm -hmm. There was no need to drop atomic weapons on Japan. And no. from the get-go, the Pearl Harbor attack was run by British intelligence. And they hinted, you know, they they did that re revelation of the method. They went to J. Edgar Hoover. They're like, hey, we, we got some news that somebody's trying to attack you, but we don't believe it. Even though we're running the spies that are bringing it to, we don't believe that. So they presented right. it. They're like, here's the evidence. You guys are going to be attacked, but it's it's not credible. And they swept right. it off. And so in August of, of uh, 1941, the British knew because they were the ones running the, the, the charade. They knew America was going to get attacked. And when America got attacked, and under standard oils, oil refinery storage out there for the, the fleet, that wasn't touched. 
All they did was sink the old ships from World War One, so they could buy new ships. And it was all part of the plan. And once you're like, hey, America, you get new ships now. And can you lend some of those ships to us, destroyers for bases? Right? So there's this whole thing where America got worked over decade after decade by a more experienced older cousin that was up to no good and didn't stand with our values as Americans. And slowly they changed the attitudes, values, behaviors, and beliefs of Americans to be just in line with the Soviets that they also were running as an experiment. And the mm-hmm. communist Chinese is also an experiment. And the lower echelon down would be like the Rockefeller family and foundation, but they're they're an Anglo-American representative. They're not the runners of anything. They did help to fund the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the Council on Foreign Relations. They did go into China in the 1920s and set up their medical system. They mm-hmm. did fund the CIA. They did fund MK Ultra. They did mm-hmm. fund Operation Mockingbird and all these other things. So mm-hmm. non-profit and tax Tavistock. exempt foundations. They were huge. Yeah. 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 The tax exempt foundations have been practicing un-American activities and that was known in the 50s, but no mm-hmm. one ever did anything about that. And those groups stood to benefit after Kennedy's death. They have stood to benefit all the way up to today with Tony Fauci running their eugenics project. Right. So you you say that uh, the Rockefellers are kind of lower level. Who would you say is uh, higher up above them? People who have a monopoly on printing money out of nothing. Right. But, you- mm-hmm. but that's not the whole thing. See, mm-hmm. the British Empire existed, but they didn't have that money power. The money power right. existed, but they didn't have an empire or armies. Mm-hmm. But when Wellington got in trouble, so I mean, the, the gist of uh, like the Rothschilds' family fortune mm-hmm. is Napoleon is attacking into Prussia. This mm-hmm. guy in Prussia has to hide his money. He, he and Amschel Meyer Roth Meyer Amschel Rothschild works for him, and he says, "Hey, I have a son." that has just gone to London, let's send all your money there. He'll hold it and keep it safe until Napoleon's gone. So 1805 or so, Mm -hmm. this guy sends all his money over. Nathan then uses this guy's money to make a ton of money. And then Mm -hmm. when the British government's too broke to pay Wellington, Nathan takes East India Company gold, which how does he have control over East India Company gold? But this is the official family story. He takes their gold, gives it to the British government, but they can't get it to Wellington. And Nathan says, hey, I got a courier network. Watch this. Sends a piece of paper, and then gold is released from the other side of Spain in the Pyrenees, and Wellington can come back, and then he can defeat Napoleon at Waterloo. Right? So those those motions are all other people's money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did they ever give the money back to the guy that, you know, that they hit it for? No record of that. They say they do in the family Mm -hmm. art, but there's no, you'd think there'd be like, here's, there's two paintings, three paintings of the event, but there is no date or event in the history, right? So it's like, Hey, we paid them back. We have a picture, but you guys didn't think to write that down in the official timeline. I thought that's important. So with this coup, they then save the bank of England in like 1818. They then buy the Royal Mint in 1828. And then they're helping to develop railroads and all the infrastructure. So on our side, the the Astors, Vanderbilt, Rockefellers, mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Carnegie, uh, J.P. Morgan, mm-hmm. their money's coming from J.P. Morgan's dad worked in the British banking system. Their money's coming from over there. Right. So if J.P. Morgan becomes like the pipe in and he can fund George Westinghouse and Tesla and all these things, the people on the other end of that pipe control all that technology. So they come around to 1913. They're like, let's just take it straight up. Congress no longer is going to be coining anything. We will create the Federal Reserve. It will print money from nothing. And slowly, like a pump functioning, it'll just suck the value out of the dollar. So in about 100 years, it's worth less. It's Mm -hmm. worth nothing. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Right. And with that, all the wealth of America is now in what? A $30 trillion debt note that we don't know who to pay. Who, if I had a magic checkbook, who do we make this check out to? Who do we owe the $30 trillion to, please? Right. Uh, the Federal Reserve, who are they? Because I read all about the Federal Reserve. It's just a bunch of banking families who got together and like, let's call ourselves Federal and Reserve. 
Right. And in Christmas Eve of 1911 or whatever, they make the approval and then they roll out the act. Yeah. And then we had the 16th Amendment. Yep. So without yeah. people understanding like the history and that it does trickle down to today's Great Reset, it does trickle yeah. down to Klaus Schwab because Klaus Schwab is, is fronting for the Club of Rome and the Club of Rome's agenda is to depopulate the earth in the name of greenness. Yes. Right. I got I got a book. I got a book yesterday. It's called If I Were an Animal. Okay. And my wife says, oh, is that for our son? I said, no, this is for me. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, read it. It's, you know. So it's all these celebrities. And if they could be an animal, what would they be? Mm-hmm. So Sting wants to be a Yeti. And Jimmy Stewart wants to be a dog. And Kirk Douglas wants to be a dog. And some of these people want to be birds. But mm-hmm. I bought this book, this very rare book, because the foreword by His Royal Highness, Prince Philip, you know, that's KC3's dad, King Chucky III's dad, Prince Philip, right. wrote the foreword for this book. And I had always been incredulous because I was like, there's no way this guy said he wanted to come back as a virus. Right, right. Population control. <laughs> but he but did. He did. He did. And it's on it's on the it's on the Buckingham Palace stationery right there in the book. And he tells you very clearly in a couple paragraphs that he's wow. all about that. Now mm-hmm. you compare that to today with the pandemic and that new crown virus that they sent around right. and you, you know, it just sends you wondering like, who are these people that think they rule over us and do they deserve to hold that position much longer? I mean, it is the 21st century. We're almost in 2023. Do we need to have Kings and Queens and in, in these sort of things? Because I think of America, not only when we beat the British, if we would have gone over there and set those people free on the Island, you would have mm-hmm. set all their slave territories free too. And that has never been done which is why we have more slavery in the world today than ever before in history. So I think, you know, it may be if the British people ever rose up against their government, like we rose up against them, you could have some freedom in the world. But as long as the World Economic Forum, the WHO, the UN, these other agencies, like the Rockefellers donated the land for the UN. Mm -hmm. It used to be slaughterhouse territory. They bought it cheap. They donate the land. Now it's international territory. They have their architect design a, a beautiful building, big monolith, like in 2001 Space Odyssey. Right. And then they run the world out there. And they got this little security council thing. I mean, you know, it's like an arms dealers network. It, like yeah. if, if arms dealers came up with a way, how could we make a front and say we're running the world and people accept it? That would be it. Right. That's all it is. Yeah. So you, I'm sorry, go question on. authority. Question authority is the gist. Oh, for sure. Always question authority. Yeah. I think question everything these days, but (laughs) for sure. Um, I was going to ask if you think that these now public NGOs are really just uh, uh, public arms of these uh, very old secret societies. Well, it's the same interests behind them. It's Mm -hmm. just a different, uh, it's a different bottle. It's new bottles Mm -hmm. with old wine, kind of. Mm-hmm. That that idea, right? So yeah, that that's kind of what I'm asking. Yeah, the secret societies do have relevance and do drive things. Like Yale's Skull and Bones came from opium money, mm-hmm. and then that opium money helped to fund Hitler. And then the Bush family had to hide that after they funded Hitler. To right. hide it, they took power, and right. they still have hidden that pretty well to this day. Sure. So there's a lot, and that's just one. But there's a lot of those families out there that you mm-hmm. know are they don't have scruples no they don't have the same boundaries as good normal human beings to say i i want to survive and thrive but not at the expense of another human being right and that's a goal and if we all work toward that goal in our own way then there's going to be less predation less slavery less subjugation and less misery in the world that doesn't have to be there in the first place but they need it to maintain their shitty system (laughs) <laughs> sure. And their control and their power for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of the, uh, you know, the secrecy is a lot of the, uh, the, the key for them to be able to perpetuate this. And so I, I do feel like they, there is kind of a, uh, a synergistic effort between them because they, they need the secrecy and they need the blackmail in order to keep things going. Cause otherwise it would kind of fall apart. And so the proof for that would be the National Security Act in 1947, which fits right in the timeline when the changeover Mm -hmm. was going on. Right. And then the UN was 1948. What what information do we hide from our public? Oh, the stuff that is useful because if they knew this, they would disagree. So we got to hide this stuff over there. Narco-terrorism, coups, 
uh, all sorts of black marketeering, human trafficking, these sort of things. Can't tell the people about that. We have to tell them there's a war on drugs and just say no while over here facilitating the entire war on drugs so that people can't just say no. Mm-hmm. And when they realize that their tax dollars are being used to play both sides and they, they're they hesitant to contribute so freely into that system. And maybe mm-hmm. they say, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to read a couple of books. Looks like I've been being gamed. And if I want my own command and control back, I'm going to have to deconnect from that that tether of assumption that says trust you know, and be obedient. And I'm going to have to question that obedience. Right. Right. They have to earn the obedience now. I think they've broken trust. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works in nature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so definitely. I'm optimistic because mm-hmm. we can't fix these problems until we see them for what they are. Yeah. And so it's, it's going to look dim, you know, but then it's like, okay, now we clean it up. Mm-hmm. How did all this happen? Is it right. everybody? Do we have a problem with it? No. 99.9% of people on this planet are cool. No problems. But there's a small group of people. Very well organized, orchestrated, funded group of people with a long history that they're representing. They have goals. They have agendas. And if you think those are all conspiracy theory, you are letting them make progress forward and take your freedom. So it's that intellectual self-defense. It's that intellectual pushback. And it's the mobility to say, you know what? I don't need this job if you're going to make me take some sort of experimental gene therapy without informed consent. I have skills. I know how to make my offer to the market. I'm over here now. I'm still alive and still have my immune system. People without that capability, they take the jab, they get the vaccine injured, they mm-hmm. lose their livelihood, and then they can't sue. So they've they've been gamed. Yeah. And that's tragic. And I don't want to see it go on. I didn't think I'd ever see it go on in my lifetime, but I just saw it. So the way they had people, you know, just Sean Penn yesterday, like he, he, people who aren't vaccinated should be put in camps. First off, bro, you're like two years behind Chomsky. Like that was a thing a couple of years ago. Why are you saying it now? And why are you saying the quiet part out loud? Because it makes people think that maybe we shouldn't trust any of you guys. You know, he's, he's killing the box office for any movie he's going to with every action he makes to, you know, uh, manhandle Zelensky. That's yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Did you ever see sure. Zelensky playing piano? I'm sorry, say that part again. Do you ever see Zelensky playing piano? Do you know what qualifies him to be president? Because he's a stand-up comedian. He has some very special talent. Well, didn't he play One. the role of a president? So therefore he's totally qualified. Yeah, he played the role of a president. He he does his dance routine in like uh eight-inch stiletto heels. Yeah. And he plays he plays a keyboard with his member. So these are all the things that you too could probably learn to do and become you know president of a country. <laughs> Apparently, that's what qualifies people. Of, uh, of their, course, their well, usability. He, he's their the usability. perfect mascot for uh, their uh, their narrative. So I, I think that's what qualifies them. Yeah, he is a mascot. You're he's right. definitely he's like a mascot. The, the little bulldog uh, for the Yale football team. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so uh, uh, one last question, then uh, we'll move into uh, the solutions and uh, wrap it up. But uh, yeah. I, and this is kind of a rabbit hole. So again, you know, we'll do just kind of a quick overview. But you were talking about how people being gamed currently. And this, I think, has been, you know, uh, year like pro- I would actually argue millennia, really. But, you know, definitely centuries of, you know, uh, long range, interdirectional kind of uh, conditioning. Uh, mm-hmm. That's occurred, and I do think that it's a uh, you know it's been refined as you know very kind of strategic mind control. Uh, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of yeah, I guess the history of mind control. You know, I know what's very popular is the you know the MK Ultra. I personally, I'll just share sure. very briefly. I I think that the 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 tactics used in MK Ultra really long long predate. MK Ultra. I think that's just, you know, the, what we know about. And I think that they uh, long uh, supersede. I don't think that just because the name of the project has ended that, that those tactics aren't being utilized today. No, they, they rolled them out to prime time. They're used everywhere today. So <laughs> right. the, the, the gist of the answer is um, there's a couple thousand years of history on this. It's mm-hmm. been going on for a long time. And yeah. the rulers of a thousand years ago, like Alexander the Great writes a letter to his teacher, uh, Aristotle. So Aristotle's like hanging out in Egypt and Alexander's out on the trail conquering the world. And he gets word that Aristotle is publishing this new book and he writes this chastising letter. And uh, the paraphrase, he's like, 
Hey, uh, Aristotle, what's up? This is Alexander. I heard you're writing a book that's going to give all the tools I use to rule over people out to the people. And if, if you, if you print this book, how do you expect me to rule over people and be excellent in the things I'm excellent in if they're excellent in them too? Right? So he's basically saying, you can't teach the slaves how to think. You can't teach the slaves how to use persuasive rhetoric and these sort of things that we use to rule over them. Like cool it. So, uh, in the film state of mind, the psychology of control, we went all the way back to Roman emperors or Chinese emperors. And how did they control people? How did they learn to train fleas is the gist. And they, they put the fleas in a container and then they put the lid on there and the fleas bust their heads trying to jump out and yep. then you, they break their will and then you can take the lid off and they don't jump out anymore. And yep. you've changed their little flea agendas and unify them so they all react and uh, respond c- the same way to the stimuli. Mm-hmm. Right. That's control. So once they learned how to do that to fleas, <laughs> I mean, they don't actually train fleas for those circuses. They identify what their capabilities are and they harness those things just like they do to people in the, the school system into the job workplace these days. So um, this film, A State of Mind, Psychology of Control, it's hard to find out there, but it is available okay. for Grand Theft World members. We have it like in okay. the library of all the content. But uh, the six-hour director's cut version will give you the gist on, yeah, it's not just MK Ultra. MK Ultra was these people had a specific budget at a specific time, and they did these specific things. The mm-hmm. whole thing that drove that project could be called uh, the Macy Conferences, which is a bunch of intellectual elite or intelligentsias getting together to say, hey, how can we have command and control over human beings? And people like Norbert Wiener, the father of cybernetics, was there. And he's like, here's how you can have command and control over people's Mm -hmm. behavior and over, you know, treat people like machines. Because if you can get them to assume and turn off their critical thinking, they behave just like animals do under Pavlovian stimulus. Right. Yeah. yeah. B.F. Skinner would be the. Yes. uh, Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So what, what are your thoughts on how, how, how do we, what, what do you think will happen? Like how much of their plans do you think will be implemented and executed? And what do you think we can do to stop them? They're going to get as much done as we let them get done. That's right. the gist. And the more people we can make alert in an informed way where they take it seriously, that there is a plan, there is an agenda. It doesn't favor you or your freedom. It's being done in front of you, but not being pointed out to you. It's mm-hmm. going on, you know, the, the social credit score will be here, but people aren't being educated on what's coming. So right. if we can let them know before they accept it and get indoctrinated right. into it, we're winning. So it's about us coming to an understanding and then learning how to validate that understanding and then communicate it to other people. So it's the input, the processing and the output this three-step method to learn anything and to be able to communicate anything. And we should all have that superhero tool on our belt so Mm. we can come to other people's aid throughout the day. And there's a bunch of tools like this that I think people should have, but they haven't been given, you know? So it's like, we need supplies for the journey. We're not being supplied. Here's the supply shop. Here's the general store before you go out and dig for your gold. This is what you're going to need. You're going to need some tools. You're going to need some methods. You need to find a place where the gold is in your being, where is your offer? What can you do readily for other people in a way to serve them that they appreciate? You know, people start with washing cars, mowing lawns, you know, putting food on a table, waiter or waitress. But what if you could learn how to build a housing community? What if you could go to some place that you serve hundreds or thousands of people and not just one person at a time, Mm. then you can, uh, you can outgrow your status quo. So I've got students from 18 to 85 They're all learning how to ignite their potential, direct it toward goals that they want to achieve and how to schedule their success by harnessing their calendar and their precious 168 hours in each week and how to get the most out of those hours and trade low value activities for high value activities. So instead of going out drinking or Netflix or gaming, go to an autonomy lecture on Friday night, get your learning on, then do the exercises with the other students, start building your network. And what you find is most people have the same problems. We got negative self-talk. We haven't been given the methods. We have some learned helplessness and we have some provisional self-esteem. And if we start dealing with these things and balancing them, all of a sudden now you can see all these opportunities and you know what to say to to interact with them. And if you can't uh, fulfill it yourself, you know the people that, you know, I I don't do the web programming or the SEO, but I know the person who does. Now we can all be solving problems for each other much more faster, much more quickly in this dynamic learning environment. So right. we need turbo boost to solve these problems sooner than later. <laughs> these, yeah, these, for, 
These ideas don't work so well in the COVID camps. So let's do it while we still have some free market left. Let's get our learning on. Let's blow out our expectations for 2023 and let's make sure our plans are enacted in 2023 and their plans won't have room to take root in our life. Oh, please, please. I hope you brought up the COVID camps and uh, you've talked about the social credit system that, you know, really seems like it's a uh, pretty imminent if we don't stop it. What are your thoughts on Twitter? Because I know Elon has said that he wants to make it WeChat only better. And uh, I mean, we know what WeChat is. <laughs> I mean, I don't trust Elon as far as I could throw him because he mm -hmm. the only reason he's the richest man in the world, he took a bunch of taxpayer dollars through the Pentagon to make Starlink and all these other things he's got going on. He's got Neuralink. Yeah. I don't think we need chips in our brain. Charles Lieber is his partner who yeah. had the patent on the Neuralace and he has the CureVac. Yeah. Every single piece of technology necessary for the to execute the fourth industrial revolution. Yes. He's behind. And, and he wants to go to Mars, everything. but he doesn't trust the AI. So I don't think we need to go to Mars and I don't trust the AI. So I don't see why he, he has also a, says AI is summoning the demon, but he's all for AI. And you can't get to Mars without AI. So I don't know what that whole, why are we going to Mars when we can't even take care of this planet yet? Like we can't even clear the pederast off Twitter. Why are we trying to go to Mars? Like, let's just take care of like the children. Let's first, let's take care of the next generation that's right. going to replace right. us and inherit what we leave. Right. So what he's doing on Twitter, as far as free speech, absolutism, I mean, it rings a little hollow because uh, Ryan Christian just got his account. He just got it back. He just, he just got, got it back, back this morning, though. <laughs> oh, you got it back again? All right. This good. morning, yeah. All right. So, you know, the Elon meter moved but a little bit. But it still seems me. a little suspicious. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that people uh, can speak freely. I'm grateful for his presence there. Mm -hmm. uh, I like his attitude of trolling, mm -hmm. you know. I haven't gotten my account reinstated, but yeah, I, I have another handle now, but yeah, my original one's not. Back. I've been kicked off uh, and suspended from Twitter a bunch of times over the years, yeah. uh, I, but I use it more as a trail of breadcrumbs so that you could go back for whatever week and start to see what mm -hmm. people weren't being told about these various topics. Right. So I like to drop documents and other things that are a little sure. inconvenient to their narratives, which don't make any sense. I like mm -hmm. to help people make more sense out of it. It's like, oh, they're hiding this. That's all. That's why they're telling you this because they're hiding this. Right. So, <clears throat> yeah, Twitter. And that's is why a, they're a creating outlet. these managed dialectics so you can start, so they can divide and conquer and you can be lost in the trap of these two warring factions. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, yeah. And that, it, it's been that way for a long time. So, getting on Twitter, I mean, I'm just there for the memes and to drop some knowledge every now and then. I don't have mm -hmm. high hopes for it. I have low expectations. That's why it's it's okay. You know, this right. is, you know, another billionaire using it as his personal platform, just like Bezos has the Washington Post and Rupert Murdoch has Fox and all these other places. So I don't think it's unusual because there's a rich guy in control because that's pretty much how stuff works out, out there, right? Uh, I do think it's unusual that he took the doxing and the real-time information of his, of his family so seriously because I was like, doesn't this guy make Starlink and doesn't that provide real-time data over there so they can kill people? I don't know. I'm just saying he makes a lot of money from that, apparently, that yes. Starlink thing. It does. Or at least gets a lot of money from the government to run those things. That's the gist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I personally think he is a part of the managed dialectic to usher in the technocracy. And he's the he's the prized technocrat. So, yeah. But I can still have hope that uh, maybe he's not fully read in on the plan. And if he were mm. read on the he would do something about it. I don't know. But he bought a crime scene for $44 billion. I thought that was interesting. That's true. That's true. So, well, yeah, we can we can always have hope. Absolutely. And uh, that would be yeah. like somebody buying the Rand Corporation back in the day to get the Pentagon Papers. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. That's true. Very true. He's like, there's no whistleblower at Twitter. I'll just buy Twitter and we'll get the data and then <laughs> he'll make it into a trillion dollar company and then he'll he'll sell it to somebody else for a while. I while I'm really encouraged by all of that, I also think that a lot of what's going on with the Twitter files is a huge distraction from so much else that's going on. And people are very lost in that. So, yeah. I, I Well, we I, haven't seen the Twitter files yet. We've only seen what the intermediaries have told us about the Twitter exactly. files. Exactly. I would like to see the data dump before I'm exactly sure about these things because I'm not so, you know, I I, I, I respect Taibbi's uh vampire squid article on goldman sachs back in the day but he still has never gotten close to like just read tragedy and hope or the anglo-american establishment or any of these books will give you Thank a credible you. view and he could greatly uh, but then he'd be no use to the establishment he couldn't get paid and that's why people don't go there they don't know how to get paid and talk about the truth precisely yeah 
Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if you have anything else, I know I want to be respectful of your time. I would definitely love to do a uh, follow-up because I have so much more I'd love to discuss. Um, and you're such a wealth of knowledge. So, but if you have anything else you want to impart and of course, tell everybody where they can find you, find your courses, find your books, find your work, your films, all that. Sure. Uh, you can find the autonomy course and the gist is you read the page and click the button and take the mm-hmm. obstacle course, see if it's right for you. So it's getautonomy.info. Um, we also have Autonomy Unlimited, our digital marketing and services company for entrepreneurs in the liberty and freedom community. And I try to help out most of my colleagues as best I can to get so people can get where they're going faster. And then Sunday nights, my hobby is Grand Theft World podcast. I'll stand here at this desk for six or seven hours and we'll it's we'll amazing. Do justice, we'll do justice to the news and we're going to bring you the artifacts and evidence that they can't show you on all the other shows. So that's the gist. That's that's how I use. My and what I love about your uh, your little hobby is you do such a great job, though, of talking about the daily news, which I personally don't typically get wrapped up in. But uh, but you do a great job of talking about that, but bringing a bird's eye view and connecting it to this historical context that I think is lost on so many today because most people don't actually know history. So uh, so they get kind of caught up in the. Uh, what I think the news is designed to do. It is kind of, kind of designed to be like a bread and circus. circus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you help bring people outside of that. So I'm really grateful for that you, that that's your hobby, which is yeah, well, thank, impressive. Thank you for noticing because we work really hard at the hobby and, and we, yeah. don't leave, we don't leave anything on the field. Like we, we put it all out there and uh, we, we give it a good go every week because the news keeps getting weirder, but there mm-hmm. is a central theme. There is a narrative. You can follow along. You can understand what's going on, but yeah. you need a, a couple pieces of data and information and evidence. And then it, it clicks and you're like, oh, I can see it now. And you're right. no longer subject to the news. You're seeing as to, oh, I know why they're saying this this way. I know why they're holding this piece or what they're, they're getting people to do this. Now you can make better choices, decisions, take action with less consequences that are ill in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here and for uh, taking the time today. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll do it again. Thank you, Courtney. I look forward to the next time. Let's book something for uh, 2023 and make it a, a greater year than the 2022 we just went through. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm into that for sure. <laughs> thank you. Have a productive day. You too. Peace. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.